Well, good evening once again, everybody. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. I'm, my name is Trace, one of the pastors here. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be seen. You know, however you want to respond to that, that's cool. So I just want to start out tonight by saying, man, I am really excited and, and grateful and, and blessed, really, by last weekend, Saturday, or Sunday morning, we were able to praise and send out Pillar Church of San Diego in their first church launch, and and the, the, the attendance, yeah, sure, you clap that, it's fine. The attendance, the, the support of Pillar Oceanside was awesome. Like, man, I just looked around, and I was like, look at all these Pillar Oceanside faces. It was really, really encouraging, and really grateful that you um, made the uh, the investment of going down there, because I know that they really appreciate that as well. So just a little bit of a note there. But really, what I really want to talk about is the Olympics. So yeah, that transition right, really makes a lot of sense there. Um, but I just I wonder how many fans of the Olympics do we have among us? Olympic fans. Now let me qualify that. Um, Summer Olympics fans. Yeah, okay. The Winter Olympics is like yeah, okay, yeah, it, it's cool. But nothing like the Summer Olympics. And I was super bummed when they were canceled this year. But of course we we get that postponed, right? They're supposed to be happening next year. We'll see. But it got me thinking as I was preparing for the message and thinking about Olympic sports and competition in general. In most events in the Olympics, the winner is is very clear, right? Who ran the fastest? Who jumped the highest, the farthest? Who touched the wall first? Like, there's no disputing that. You slow it down in slow motion if you need to, but the fastest, highest, longest, whatever. That is the winner, right? But... What about in gymnastics and other sports that are like that? I'm going to focus in on gymnastics. It's different, right? So there's a, there's a code of points that exists, and, and judges use that to evaluate that person's, that gymnast's performance. Now, a little bit of a quiz here. Up until 2006, anybody know what the perfect score in rhythmic or uh, artistic gymnastics was? It was a 10, right? A perfect 10. 2006, they changed the whole system and messed everything up. Up until 1976, that perfect 10 score had never been achieved in Olympic competition. Then along comes a Romanian gymnast. How many have heard the name Nadia Comaneci? Okay, not as many as I was hoping for. Yeah, a couple of you. Maybe you just heard it, you just didn't want to raise your hand. Yeah, Nadia Comaneci, right? She shocked the world at age 14. You can't even compete in the Olympics anymore at that age. 14 years old, right? She had been training at least 30 hours a week in her gymnastics training. And so her uneven bars routine goes down range and everybody's just shocked because it's perfection, literally perfection, perfect 10. Not even the technology was able to support that because it only had three digits that they could list as the score, 9.95 or whatever. They had to list it as 1.00. And it wasn't until they announced that she got a perfect 10 that everybody's like, oh, it's crazy. Like 1.0, what is that all about? Perfect 10. She actually would go on in that same Montreal Games of 1976, six more perfect 10 scores in those games. Unbelievable. So... Let me ask you this. Who is responsible for those scores? I mean, obviously her role is to perform her routines 
that she has spent her entire life training for, but I heard somebody over here say it, judges, right? So there's a panel of judges from various countries. They play this key role. As I mentioned, they have this code of points that they're looking at, and they evaluate each athlete's performance against this code. And then they're awarded a placing amongst their peers. Some will get a medal, and some will just get a placing, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Granted, it's still a placing among their peers who are the best athletes in the world, but that is how it all works. And I said before, the process is a little bit unique in, in gymna- gymnastics. Some other sports, you know, uh, diving and figure skating and other kind of things hold that. But the concept is helpful. That's why I wanted to kind of open with that. The concept of what we're going to talk about today is, is I think, going to be helped by this idea of judging. So what I want to cover is simply this. God is going to judge each one of us for our performance in this life. Right? We are living this life. If you're a Christian, you are doing things, you're not doing things, and you will be judged based on your performance. So said another way, the decisions made in this life will have eternal consequences. So before you get like too freaked out about that and start like going down these rabbit holes, let me pray. Help, ask for God's help, and we'll get started just a little bit. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. I'm grateful for everyone that is here. Uh, really encouraged, Lord, by the fact that you are gracious enough to allow us to gather together in this parking lot where we're so blessed to gather. You know, we 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 have a million excuses, Lord, of why we, we don't want to gather together. And yet your word is clear, even as we read it this evening together, that we should not neglect the gathering together, as some do. But we, we ought to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's hard to do that when we're not a community, Lord. So thank you for gathering us together. We thank you for that opportunity, Lord. Would you bless us now, Father, as we go into your word? Would you help it to bring life and truth and hope, guidance, and maybe even motivation, Lord God, to, to continue to live the life that is pleasing to you, God? Guard our hearts and help me, Lord God, to preach truth and that truth would remain in each heart here today. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. So if you were here last week, or maybe you listened online, Mike showed us that we, we ought to be keeping in step with the Spirit as we're living out our Christian faith, right? We are going to... Um, kind of build on that, right? What does it look like then to keep in step with the Spirit? What is the fruit of that kind of behavior? We know that salvation only comes through faith and grace, but what we do with our lives in service of the Lord is exceptionally important, and I want to I want to make sure that we're all on the, the same page right here. Now, does do our works on this planet have anything to do with earning our salvation? I heard a, a, a couple of kind of no's. Um, I'm assuming that you're just like, yeah, you asked that two weeks ago. We know the answer, and that is no. Of course, no. has nothing to do with that. However, our works, I want us to, to, to understand two things before we get kind of any further regarding works. First, they are evidence of our faith. 
Our works are evidence of our faith. James teaches us that faith without works is what? Dead. So he's speaking in this chapter in James, he's speaking about Abraham's willingness to lay down and sacrifice Isaac. In chapter 2 of James, verse 22, he says, You see that faith was active all along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Jesus taught on this topic as well. If you've got a Bible, we're going to flip around a little bit, but flip over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, because Jesus taught in this same vein as well about our works and about what that looks like in real time for us. So Matthew 12, 33 to 37. That's what it says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What we do in this life matters. What we think, what we say, what we don't do, all of these things matter in this life. Why? Because it's what the Lord uses to build his kingdom. He uses all of us, our words, our actions, our motives. What we do is what he uses to build his kingdom. How we love God and love others directly relates to how well we are living out the Great Commission in our lives. I think this is what James means in, in, in chapter 2, verse 24. He says, you see that a, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, that verse has been confused over the years and people thinking like, oh, no, no. So what he's saying is you have to be justified by your works like they are what earn you your salvation. That's not what he's saying. So um, R.C. Sproul comments on this exact thing. He says this, a man is not justified before God by his works but that his claim to faith is shown to be genuine as he demonstrates the evidence of that claim of faith through his works. The evidence of our faith is the good works that we do as unto the Lord. I think we all understand that. So they are definitely important in this life as we direct others to God. We understand that. But the second thing that I want us to understand about our works is that they are important in the life to come. And this is where a bulk of our message is going to be tonight. So, again, if you've got your Bible, turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're actually just going to look at one verse out of this chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. When you're there, say amen. amen. That's, a, that's a fair amount of you, so we'll go ahead and we'll go for it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So four things that we're briefly going to walk through that we can discover from this one verse. And in order to do that, we're going to bring in some other verses from the New Testament to help us uh, bolster those ideas. But, but here's the first thing. 
if you're a note taker or if you're a, uh, just somebody that likes to follow sort of an outline, the first thing that we're going to understand from this verse is that we will all be judged. How many did not know that we would be judged after we leave this earth? Anybody not know that? Okay, maybe some didn't want to raise their hand. That's, that's okay. We will all be judged. Now, there are varying degrees of understanding of when this judgment will take place. And we're not going to get into that right now because that would be a whole sermon series in itself. Um, what we can agree on is that we will all stand before our maker. Um, so l- let me be clear. Every human being will stand before God and be judged. But let's not take my word for it. I, I, I didn't see any hands go up. I think there was any confusion. But let's go over to Romans 14 and just verify that what I'm saying is true. Romans 14, starting in verse 10. b we'll call it the second half of, of romans 14 10 for we will all stand before the judgment seat of god for it is written as i live says the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god so then each of us will give an account of himself to god I mean, it doesn't really get much clearer than that. This is inclusive language that we see here. All means all. There's no you know, sort of back entrance or, or way that we can, can manipulate or, or maneuver around this. All means all. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes, anybody know? Judgment. Like, that's it. Every man is going to die, and after that, judgment. Boom. Okay. Who's the one executing the judgment, you ask? Good question. It is Jesus Christ himself. Romans 2.16 tells us, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So he's the one that does this. And it takes place in the end. We're just going to say in the end because we're not going to split hairs and it's going to be pre, post, tribulation, millennium, like all that kind of stuff. We're not going there. In the end, whenever that is... (laughs) This is when it is going to happen. And it's actually described in a, a somewhat terrifying way. So now go with me in the Bible all the way to the very end to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Friends, it's just really important that we understand what exactly it is that we're going to face and what others are going to face as well. Because it does have an impact on how we live our lives. At least it should. So Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's terrifying. 
What we see here is that unbelievers experience one kind of judgment, namely that they experience a second death and they are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Again, terrifying. Awful picture. And while this is important for us to know and understand and realize so that we can communicate it clearly with others, it's not where I want to focus my time. Okay, My time focused tonight is how believers will be judged. Believers will be judged. So that leads to the second point. One, we're all going to be judged. Number two, it's not a judgment of condemnation. We're talking about judgment for believers. Romans 8.1, perhaps you've heard this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are a Christian, then condemnation, that means judgment that leads to punishment, is not something that we will face. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Because of Jesus' atoning work on the cross, right, we have received a full pardon for our disobedience, our rebellion, our sin. This is what grace means. It's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We're getting something, forgiveness, that we don't deserve. And so Jesus took our punishment in our place. And now we have the righteousness of Christ. That's what happened on the cross. So as a result, we can take confidence in a couple of things. Psalm 103, verse 12, reminds us about how God sees our sin. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Yeah, don't even try to answer the question. <laughs> we don't understand it, all right? It doesn't matter anyway. A little bit more encouragement from you, for you. The prophet Jeremiah, who is also quoted by the author of Hebrews as this, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Right? That's Jeremiah 31, 34. So this judgment that we're talking about is not a judgment of condemnation where we will have eternal punishment for these sins because Christ has already paid the penalty. Now, does the enemy work overtime to try to convince you that somehow your sin is still going to be held against you? Absolutely. And he's pretty good at it. But that is not what the scripture teaches us. So we have to hold fast to that truth. And when you hear those lies of the enemy, pull up these verses, pull up the Psalms and pull up Jeremiah and go, no, 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 no. As far as the east is from the west, he's forgotten. He remembers my sin no more. So stand firm in your faith and, and watch the devil flee, right? So if the judgment that believers face is not one of condemnation and punishment, then what kind of judgment is it? Because remember, all means all. It's not a matter of if. We will all stand before God. And so as we begin to answer that question, think back to my opening illustration about the Olympic gymnast being judged and then awarded based on their performance. And so that is going to be our third point. We will be rewarded for our actions, our words, our deeds, our works. We'll just put it all in that category of, of works. So if you're back in our text originally with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the judgment seat of Christ is translated from the word bima, the bima seat. So what is this? This describes a platform in the Roman era where they would pronounce judgments on Olympic athletes. It's very, very similar, if not identical, 
to what I just explained with how judging happens with uh, Olympic gymnasts. So the imagery really just lines up perfectly with that opening illustration. So, so what exactly is being evaluated then? If we're clear that we will stand as Christians before God and that we will give an account for everything that happens, he said both good and bad. So if our sin isn't going to be held against us in that regard, it's going to be our works or our lack of works. So think back to James. Works are the evidence of a saving faith. Good things that are done in the service of the Lord while we are alive on this planet. Now keep in mind again, I want to keep throwing this out here, has nothing to do with your salvation. These works, it's not really a thing at all. But our works do matter. Flip over to 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse 10. Are we there? First Corinthians 3:10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive award. reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only as through fire. Now, how many have heard the, those verses before? All right. How many have wondered, what, what does that mean? Like, how, how does all that work? So in this picture of, of the, the, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, Paul is demonstrating to us that we need to take care of how we build on the foundation that is Christ. What are we contributing to the growth of his kingdom at large? That could be in terms of evangelism, uh, loving others, being an ambassador for Christ. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. All of these things, lovers of good. How are we doing these things? How did we make known Jesus in a good and right way? How was he glorified in our words and in our actions? In verse 13 that we just read, the day that is coming is a capital D. What day is that? That's the day of judgment, right? The day of the Lord when he comes again. That's when our deeds will be tested. And fire, he says, will reveal the true nature of our works. So if it remains, what does that mean? It was good. It was, it, was, it was done with the right heart, the right motive, the right action. It remains. If it's consumed by the fire, it's no good. It doesn't withstand. It doesn't hold up. So 
<clears throat> again, the bad that we have done is not categorized as sin in this case. In our passage, the bad that Paul is referring to is also understood as, check this out, good for nothing or worthless. That's what he means by the good and the bad. It's good for nothing. Like you shouldn't even wasted your time because you did it for the wrong reasons. You did it with the wrong motive. You were just going through the motions. Good for nothing. That's what he's saying. These works that will be burnt up, worthless. Yikes. Think about that. Wasted opportunities. Wasted time. Wasted resources. Wasted giftings that he's given you. And on and on and on. These are the things that would be consumed and in the fire. And, and while they don't result, praise God, in our exclusion from heaven, verse 15 does say we will be saved, but we will also suffer loss. So this takes us back to the rewards of good. We're going to get back to that thing in just a minute. The Bible talks quite a bit about receiving eternal heavenly rewards. Don't you think? Have you read these ideas of being rewarded in heaven for the things that you do on this earth? I see a couple heads nodding. Right. So first, it's important to recognize that there will be varying degrees, levels, if you will, of reward based on our life's work. Each one receiving what is due. I mean, that just applies, implies rather, that there are going to be degrees of reward. Now, you might be thinking, okay, how can we each be fully satisfied in heaven if there are different levels of rewards, like we're missing out on something, right? You ever thought about that? Like, I'm going to be jealous of that person. That person gets to be so close to Jesus, and I'm way back here in the cheap seats. Like, how does that work? Listen, the joy that we have in Christ will be full and complete regardless of the reward that you receive. To think otherwise is based on the assumption that happiness depends on what we have or what status that we maintain. That's just not the way it is. Because, why? If status and level were determining factors in our complete satisfaction and joy in Christ in heaven, then the only person that would be truly satisfied is God. We wouldn't be able to experience for ourselves. Now, Jonathan Edwards, a long time ago, explained this much more succinctly. So he says, Every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness, that's the heavenly realms, every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full. Though... There are some vessels larger than others, and there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. So, what about this suffering loss thing? So here's, here's where I'm at on this, and I believe the scripture supports it. We suffer loss in the sense that we forfeit opportunities to glorify God more than we did. Right? But this does not have an impact in our complete satisfaction and joy in Christ. Right? We need to understand that. So all of this leads to the, the final point. I'm not going to read what it is just yet. I want you to hopefully realize that up to this point, we haven't really talked about what these rewards are specifically. And, and I'm not going to really, by design, talk on that. It is my desire for us to know and understand that we will each stand before God and give an account for how we served him. And we're going to be rewarded for the good we have done, which ultimately leads to more glory for God in the end. And that's the whole point, that we can give glory back to God as we are rewarded 
for serving Him well in this life. The more we are rewarded, church, the more glory the Father receives. Like, how amazing is that? We get an opportunity in heaven to glorify the Father through the way in which we are rewarded for our service here on this earth. So, the last question is this. Are eternal rewards, these things that we've been talking about, are they proper motivation for good works? What would you say? Yes. Absolutely, 100%. Because, again, the more we are rewarded, what? The more glory God gets. That's why Jesus tells us to what? Store up treasures for yourself where? In heaven. He tells us to do this. It's healthy and it's biblical to be motivated by the idea that we will be rewarded in heaven. Because if we're honest, man, we need all the help that we can get at times to run well the race that is set before us. And I think that's part of what Paul means when he tells us to run the race well. Knowing that there is reward waiting for us in heaven may be what we need tomorrow to put one foot in front of the other. So, this motive leads to behavior that benefits God's kingdom while we're on the earth, and it benefits his kingdom in heaven when he comes again through glory given to him. So as I wrap up, I'm going to read something and then say something about it. There's a quote from from John Piper. It says, Salvation is by faith. Rewards by faith. But the evidence of invisible faith in the judgment hall of Christ will be a transformed life. That's the evidence. A life transformed. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They are not foundation. They are demonstration. So, even though our time here, church, on this earth is limited, we have countless opportunities to store up riches in heaven and bring glory to God. Now, are we going to miss some of those opportunities? Oh, yeah. Probably miss some opportunities today to, to, to love others, to love God fully. But my prayer is that after hearing this message, each one of us is beginning to become much more aware of how you are living your life and how the choices you make today will have eternal consequences. That's my prayer for all of us, that, that we are considering that this day and tomorrow, which is a gift from the Lord, God has intentions for us to do things with it. We don't have the luxury of sitting around and twiddling our thumbs and just waiting for Jesus to come home, come back, bring us home. It's not the way it works, church. And if if eternal reward is in some way a motivation for you, then by all means know that you're doing it to bring glory to God. But do it. Serve the Lord with all that you have, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why Jesus tells us to do these things. Because left to our own devices, we will fall short, short, short. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the fact that we we know that we, as Christians, as people who have put our faith in you, Christ, that when we stand before you, the creator of heavens and earth, that we will not be judged for our sin in terms of condemnation and eternal punishment. Thank you, Lord, that that is the case. <laughs> thank you that in Christ we have freedom, we have forgiveness, and we've been restored to relationship with you, Lord. And I just pray that 
God, each one of us, as we consider how we're living our lives, how we're serving you, how we're loving you, will have eternal consequences. Lord, we want to stand before you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but we want to bring glory to you. And we don't want to miss opportunities on this planet to do that faithfully and consistently through evangelism, through sharing you and, and our faith and our testimony and, and reaching the, the, the lost in this world. Being ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, all the things that you call us to do. God, help us to keep in step with your spirit, knowing that we need your help along the way. And thank you for the body of Christ that you've given us Lord, that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. God, you've given us each other to help in that process. So I pray that we would help each other along the way. And God, again, for your glory and for your name's sake, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.